Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of the Jams and Tea Podcast. We spin the jams and fill the tea, and we are going to talk about our most anticipated things of 2024. In our efforts to expand the mediums we're talking about, we're also going to be talking about our most anticipated games of this year, not just anticipated albums, courtesy of the one and only gaming boy himself, Morgan Diatley. So first, we're going to talk about that, and then Riley and I are going to rattle off what we think our most anticipated albums of the year are. Absolutely. So Morgan, why don't you kick us off with what you're looking forward to this year in gaming, what you're hoping this year will deliver, and what some of the most hotly anticipated titles are so far. You know, starting off a year in gaming ever since the pandemic has always been kind of awkward, just because release dates are so like non-specific anymore until they're like for sure like a month or two out. Um, like yep. you know, Baldur's Gate three w- would not have been in my most anticipated games of 2023 at the beginning of that year. So it, it sort of is like music in that respect. Cause you know, a lot of this is like, <laughs> I was looking at my most anticipated albums list from last year and saw the cure on there. And, uh, and that, that, I think this year's equivalent of that is hollow night silk song. 100%. Yeah. Oh, that's, uh, that's just flatly not happening. There's not, I, no. I, I want to believe because it was originally slated to be released last year and it was like, that was hot, like set in stone to a certain degree. And then it got delayed. So I want to believe this will be the year. And look, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to go full clown makeup on this. I'm, I'm happy to, I feel like, you know, and, and some people will disagree with this Bonk. philosophically, but I think that believing is better than cynicism. You know, Riley people, said manifest. Some people will adopt a a perspective of it's not happening to protect themselves from disappointment. And all I say is that's no way to live your life. You have to want things and will things into existence. You have to believe that this could happen, <laughs> that this has got a real chance. And I'm not, and I don't think that it's unfounded. This is the thing. I do not believe it's unfounded. I think there's a lot of good reasons to believe that this will be the year we finally get it because we came so close last year. It, it, um, it'll definitely yeah. come out. Yeah, I don't th- it's not like they're gonna shelve it or anything, but I just yeah. and I don't think it'll be surprise released either. I think we will get a, a game announcement. No, there'll probably. be rollout. Yeah, there'll be rollout because it's a big, hotly anticipated title. I, I yeah, I, so that's all I have to contribute to this. There's probably other games I'm Riley. To, I can't even think of. But... We're seeing one of the reasons our core podcast dynamic works as well as it does is because we're all three very similar people. But when it comes to the fundamental differences between us, Morgan and I are diehard cynics, and you somehow, God bless you, are an optimist, and I envy you greatly for that. It feels like it's a on everyone it's on the tip of everyone's tongue but people are afraid to say it uh, i'm not afraid to say it this is going to be the year for hollow night silk song i believe i hope you're right i, I truly I, do <laughs> just to realize this, i was so, I this, was so this going up as a clip on the channel on december 31st 2024 hollow night is still not out <laughs> and riley just being like this is gonna be the year but there's like a black and white filter slowly Look, zooming in on your face here's how bernie can still win <laughs> <laughs> yeah so i have five 
upcoming games selected for this little list. Uh, all but one of them has a confirmed release date, uh, and the only one that doesn't is ambiguously set for fall of this year. First one is uh, Dragon's Dogma 2, which I have started and tried to get into the original Dragon's Dogma many times, but and I, I, th- I think the only thing that holds me back from it is that it's so ugly. It's so fucking ugly. It's, it's, it's a bad game. It's a bad game. No, but it's a, a, a Hideaki Itsuno game, the director of Devil May Cry's 3, 4, and 5. And really, the impression that I get from Dragon's Dogma is that it's sort of a a dream game for him that just, under technical limitations, did not really come together in a way that I personally find super fun to play. Uh, but I think the everything that I've seen for Dragon's Dogma 2 looks really exciting and it's running on the on capcom's re engine which is the greatest engine in video games um looks excellent yep and it actually it looks like it has a narrative this time yay i i just want to live in a world with a great dragon's dogma game because that it would be a better world that's why i'm excited it would be cool man next up we have uh something that's releasing just next week actually um, which is Tekken 8. Now, it's uh, along I... the last few months of last year, I fully entered my Tekken era, uh, downloaded Tekken 7, got online. got. I never won a single match, uh, still haven't. We rise and grind, and that is the, the nature of involving yourself with Kazuhiro Harada's insane mind child that is if, now... If, if you're a listener... You, what you need to do right now, right now, Riley and Morgan, hell, if you haven't done this, you need to go look up a plot summary for the uh-huh. entirety of the Tekken franchise. And I guarantee you it will be more entertaining than any movie you have seen or will see in the last five years. It is ridiculous. And I, this is this is actually a game that's had a, a demo release and I've played a bit of the story mode that was included in the demo and i <laughs> what <laughs> is like he's fine like uh, bandai namco is finally at the point where they have the technology and the budget to make basically anything that they can think of and put it in their tekken game and they're they're doing that and it's i it's just i don't even know what the hell it's so good Number three on the list is the new IP from Obsidian, who is a name if you don't recognize, is the the developers behind such magnificent RPGs as Knights of the Old Republic 2 and Fallout New Vegas and uh, the Outer Worlds, which sort of didn't get a lot of great buzz, but I really enjoyed anyways. Not to mention the Pillars of Eternity games, which were instrumental in sort of reviving the CRPG genre, which eventually led to Baldur's Gate 3. Uh, but this is called Avowed. It's set in the Pillars of Eternity universe. If the Outer Worlds was their take on a Bethesda-style Fallout game, uh, this looks to be their take on an Elder Scrolls type of game. 
Xbox developer showcase and reveal that shitty ass looking Indiana Jones game. Uh, also revealed God. some game, some gameplay for for this. Um, and it's really colorful and really great, solid art design. We still don't know very much about it at all, other than the fact that it is set in the Pillars of Eternity uh, realm. But I'm really looking forward to its eventual release. Now, the the top two for this list I find to be extremely, extremely exciting. Um, These are both games that have the potential to, frankly, given the pedigree to land in like my top 10 of all time. But the first one that I'll mention is the fully fledged from the ground up remake of Persona 3, Persona 3 Reload, which comes out at the very beginning of February. It looks so good. If all of the ways in which it is a remake improve the core game and I like all of its improvements, this will be my favorite game ever made. Yeah, I've often said that, and this has changed in the last uh, couple months, really, uh, but I've often said that Persona 3 is tied with Persona 5 for my favorite game of all time. It's just so much more limited uh, by its age than five that that's the one I always lean towards and the only reason I think I'm more excited for my number one title is that it has more of a capacity to surprise me even though it is also technically a re remake and that is uh, Final Fantasy 7 Rebirth which comes out at the end of February yeah. my favorite game of the decade still is Final Fantasy 7 remake the first part of this I think it's going to end up being three games in total project that Square Enix has taken on in terms of largely reimagining, retooling, recontextualizing Final Fantasy VII, which is one of the most beloved games in the medium in ways that I can't, I, I will be here for another hour if I have to like actually unpack that. But knowing that this is the next step of something that completely took my breath away the first time I played it and finally getting to see what else uh, Tetsuya Nomura has in store for us with this reimagining is so exciting. I, 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 like, I, I start to vibrate in my seat whenever I think about it for too long. I have a feeling that we might end up doing like an episode entirely on its own, just you and me talking about the Final Fantasy VII remake, just because I feel like there's a lot to mine there, frankly. But broadly mm-hmm. speaking, how did you feel about the changes that were made to the game's story in the first part of it? Because I know that like that is the sticking point for so many people. Like people who really love the original Final Fantasy VII and the original story tend to get really fucking protective over it. And there, and I know that we don't know the extent of everything, but I know that they're changing things, and I know that it doesn't sit right with people. I don't really know how I feel, frankly, but I'm curious to know what you feel like because I'm. Th- this has just been on the back burner for so long since the first one came out. Well, I mean, I think the elements of it that are the same or just expanded upon and not changed from the original yes. are uniformly better. Um, in a way I... that it's like not even close like the the portrayal of characters like Aerith and tifa are so head and shoulders above what was going on in the original it's like that 
twice. It's, I can't even imagine an argument against them, although I'm sure it exists and somebody will be, if a certain somebody happens upon this video, they'll be very excited to inform me in a comment section uh, that <laughs> this opinion does in fact exactly exist. <laughs> but yeah, the, the changes are like, again, I think better and more interesting than what's going on in the original, but only because of the original it's like sort of it's it's weird to say it like this but sort of why i'm so excited for the second part of it is because it has the potential to suck i guess um yeah just like yeah i agree just because i i'm certain that whatever comes next is going to be a giant swing and i think that either has the potential to deflate the whole thing or really excite me in a way that like I was circa 2017 with The Last Jedi and whatnot. Morgan, I'm curious to get your thoughts. There has been announced that there's going to be a remake of Silent Hill 2 releasing for PS5 this year. Uh, oh, this is... I wanted to mention this as sort of honorable mentions because both... the Maybe the two most beloved games that Konami ever had their name on, Silent Hill 2 and Metal Gear Solid 3, are both set to release uh, their yeah. remakes this year oh, shit. um i didn't know about Morgan's um history. two of morgan and i's favorite games again yeah one my literal number one and the other like nine or ten so my on that three. list so it's like i they can make a great remake of metal gear solid 3 if it's they literally change nothing but the graphics L i'm like, begging please please do that like just make it look nicer and don't change a line of dialogue don't change a camera frame don't change a mechanic just it if they as much change a voice it. actor i will not buy the game like and i think it's konami so they might just be straight up fucking lying to us and that wouldn't surprise me but they've said right. that they're just using the the voices and motion capture of the original that's what they've said who knows I know that for Silent Hill 2, they've outsourced it to some. It's a it's a, a, it's team a horror studio. Team. Yeah, I was gonna say it's a horror studio with a, like a, a really dumb name. Bloop, that's it. Bloop, 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 Are they the people team. doing Silent Hill Ascension? I don't know. I'm not. I can't. I don't have room in my mind. I, for I, the we fuck don't have to get to into that. I was. I, I um, was just popped in my head. It, Silent Hill 2 is also the kind of thing where it's like. Even more so than Metal Gear Solid 3 for me. If you change anything about it, then I want nothing to do with it. Mm. And it's confirmed concretely that they've changed almost everything but the actual framework of the narrative. Voice actors are different. Motion capture is different. Uh, gameplay oh. is different. I... Uh, mm -mm. I can't go so far as to imagine that the music's different. If it's re-recorded and remixed and like, you know, that's fine, I guess. I, I feel it necessary to clarify that Morgan is not being overly precious when like these changes are like the subject of why you would even play this to begin with. It's like these things are so core to the actual experience of Silent Hill 2 that I, I don't understand changing them because that's that's just a different game. At well, that here's point. the thing. And maybe, and maybe that's, I just want to say, maybe it being a different game will be cool. 
I don't know. This is what yeah. I find interesting, right? Is because from my perspective, I understand the logic of wanting remakes so that a core game that's essentially great and doesn't need changes can be adapted for a new generation or whatever. But to me, mm -hmm. like from my coming into this from like not being a hardcore gamer, more from the world of like film or whatever, or like other forms of media, to me, it's quite intriguing the idea of remaking something as a way of reimagining it. Uh, and it, that seems to be like some some of the sort of speculation that you're talking about a little bit with um what could what Final Fantasy VII Rebirth or whatever it is could turn into potentially what what liberties will be taken what ways in which that'll be explored so I find that interesting and I also find really interesting the friction of that with the attachment that people like you have to you know the original properties in the case of of Silent Hill two as well like I find it really interesting this. You know the the creative friction and even the dissonance between this idea of wanting a pure remake in a certain sense, so that you can purely to kind of get the experience of the game in a modern sort of graphical setting, versus the idea of remaking something so as to not change things in a way that implies correction or anything, but just to kind of imagine the thing in a different way, which I think is a really cool concept and i don't and i like the fact that it risks failing a lot of the skepticism is probably a little bit ungenerous and understandably but i think a lot of particularly modernized skepticism is less the notion that this reimagining could provide an interesting sort of counter or there being a sort of interesting friction just of us being like interested in the direction they go with and more just us not trusting konami to make those decisions because we have been burned so drastically in the past that's fair I, that's also an important part of the conversation i suppose that context. and it's, it's like the silent hill 2 remake in particular is like i don't want to remake silent hill 2 i just i flatly think that's a bad idea um well, like if you want to talk about preservation did, didn't they i mean they just changed the voice acting and then it's a yeah. shitty port on and PS3. everyone hated it <laughs> yeah um because it's awful i don't think it's a good idea i i will play it pretty much no matter what so i'm certainly open to having my mind changed about that but it's not it's like the metal gear solid 3 remake is an exciting prospect if I can divorce it from the fact that Konami sucks. The Silent Hill 2 remake is not an exciting prospect, regardless of anything. But I'm mm -hmm. I'm sort of past the stage in my life where I hold these things so closely that it's like I get angry if people fuck with it. Um, because like Silent Silent Hill 2 is not going anywhere. I, I have it upstairs. I have the disc in the box. It's not nobody's taking that from me. So like I what's the, I don't really understand getting so heated about like a remake or whatever. Um yeah. I did I did at one point in my life, but now it's just like I just okay, if it sucks then it's you know, they wasted mm -hmm. their money. You know. The the only valid point there is really just for the sake of preservation. Like I just think it would be smarter if they just did a one to one. Just port like, it. Here's the yeah, here's the game, here's nicer graphics. That would be nice. <laughs> Just throw yeah, just throw it on the PlayStation store for like twenty dollars. Print money. I don't it's I especially don't want a Silent Hill 2 remake because one really needs a remake. Like Yes, it does. 
I I love that game as it is. I'm also uh, it's also the kind of game where I'm like very excited for like a Resident Evil Two remake style take on it. Um, well, you would think after all those Resident Evil remakes that they would be more prone to do something like that, just because those games made so much fucking money. Uh, yeah, and it's just you know you'd think you would start at the start, but no, they just went right for the thing that they go right for the, the jugular with Silent Hill fans. Yeah, they just go. They go straight for the thing that's like the one that everybody is the most precious about. Mm. So it's like I don't, I don't. Well, let, let's switch gears a little bit now and talk about some records that we're looking forward to this year. Some of them, I think, most of them have official release dates, and like we know this is coming out at this time. A couple of my picks are unconfirmed, but basically all in the know are pretty sure these are coming this year. In both instances, records we're looking forward to from artists that we're really, really interested in slash love and where there's a certain level of expectation as well. So Jake, why don't you kick us off with your first pick for anticipated albums of 2024? The first thing I'll mention is something that we have already kind of talked about. I think we mentioned this album having a uh, a single that we were really fond of, and that being the new, or what is going to be the new MGMT album, Loss of Life, uh, which is an interesting prospect just because uh, MGMT haven't really put out a whole lot of albums for being as like culturally, like they're not a huge band or anything, but I feel like everybody knows the singles from Oracular Spectacular. And when Little Dark Age came out, that was such a big, huge comeback album. And not to mention uh, Little Dark Age is just generally uh, one of my favorite synth pop albums uh, probably ever, uh, almost. Um, and, you know, congratulations. I checked that album out too. That's a good album. Uh, and I just want to hear what they're going to do just because based off of the singles, which are all great, by the way, uh, everything that they've released since that first single has been just as good as that single. Um, but them doing a more traditional kind of psychedelic pop bent is an interesting prospect just because they've always had a very malleable sound, but only on Little Dark Age do I feel like they really like focused it into something that felt uh, a little bit more clean and concise. Congratulations is a bit like uh, messy and a little bit more ambitious, you know, takes from a lot of different things. But I'm really interested in seeing how the band evolves into a more concise version of their sound and uh if the album is just as good as all the singles have been then it'll be uh, in contention for pop album of the year so very excited about uh this album yeah produced by dave fridman as well i've uh, got a christine mm -hmm. and the queens feature on it which i'm really looking forward to hell yeah uh, lots to be excited for about this i think the way that mgmt have kind of evolved into a legacy act over the course of only like four albums has been quite smart, especially considering the fact that I have spoken on this show before about how I find their self-titled album to be utterly or almost unlistenable. Um, but I've always admired the way that they have relentlessly lent into that. I mean, especially, I think, congratulations just to all my personal favorite MGMT album. One of the things that's so enjoyable about that is how relentlessly rejecting it was of basically every expectation they'd set up for themselves with their initial success um and i i still think that is one of the most admirable and you know cutting and brilliant examples of a response to success album that completely undercuts all of that and then for them to settle back into kind of a, a, a legacy status with little dark age was really really cool to see so yeah this one definitely looking forward to this one as well i know we're going to be uh, it's going to be a really fun time talking about MGMT properly on the show without 
it being a, a random segment where I'm talking about how I dislike their third album. It'll be nice to to put some nice words to them. My first pick is, uh, I'm going to start with the most obvious pick. Uh, people will be expecting me to put this on the list, which is the new album from Everything Everything, Mountainhead, their seventh album, their second consecutive self-produced record as well, coming what feels like fairly hot off the heels of 2022's fantastic Raw Data Feel, which we gave an extremely positive review to, I think, one of their best albums, a record that really surprised me with how strong it was, despite kind of stripping away a lot of the excess that was sort of not bogging down, but was certainly kind of, you know, featured in some of the records prior to that. And it looks like this new album is going to be a kind of continuation of that slightly more skeletal, but still very rhythmic focus. Uh, I listed the song Cold Reactor, the first lead single for this album, one of my favorite songs of last year. Listen to that on repeat. It was just an incredibly addictive song, par for the course for everything, everything. Really excited to see what this new album delivers as well. I know it's a very heavily conceptual record, uh, so I'll, of course, be getting into that when we review it. Just always a treasure to have a new Everything Everything album to look forward to. They have not let us down yet, and I have no reason to believe they're planning on starting now. Just especially cool to see them persist as well because I know that they've had difficulty, you know, being able to fund and, and you know put their albums together more recently as well. And they've that's been reflected in the in the lower budget that some of these more recent records have had. So, you know, seeing them succeed in light of that and release some of their best music is really, really inspiring. So yes, everything, everything, Mountainhead, very excited for this. That's my first pick today. Jake, what is your second pick? Well, second pick is another quarter one release. All of my uh, most anticipated albums are coming out at the very start of the year, uh, seemingly, or at least most of them. Uh, and that being from a big artist for me, one I have uh, dedicated an entire worst to best to, in fact, that being gothic folk and industrial dark wave doom metal person, uh, Chelsea Wolf. Uh, we technically reviewed her in the past because of her collab album with uh, metalcore legends converge their album blood moon one of my favorite albums of 2021 and now for the first time in technically five years since 2019's birth of violence we're getting the first chelsea wolf solo album she reaches out to she reaches out to she uh if you've seen the album cover uh and the title it's very pj harvey and this album is being produced by one Mr. Dave Citek of TV on the radio, who is, uh, you know, pretty in demand, like producer for, you know, this area of weirder alternative rock and alternative music. Uh, and every single released for this has been weird and different in a way that her music hasn't been since debatably like 2015's abyss i think where it's this really all-inclusive sound that just kind of takes everything from her influences and just mashes it all together in this really exciting industrial sort of hodgepodge uh whispers in the echo chamber is a fantastic song as is uh tunnel lights and dusk there are guitar riffs uh, at the end of songs like dusk that sound like fucking 2000s new metal uh there are like there's so many like great rhythmic ideas in these singles 
Uh, and it's just going to be interesting to see what Chelsea ends up pursuing just because she's such a, she's an artist who has so many influences that she could feasibly focus or turn her attention onto something different and unearth a new facet for herself, explore maybe some old strengths, which uh, might even be due for this record considering how long it's been since she hasn't made like a really big stylistic pivot because uh his spun in 2017 that was a really like you know industrial doom metal record then birth of violence was you know hearkening back to her more uh stripped back gothic folk days and then you have blood moon with converge so we haven't had what feels like a traditional chelsea wolf album in nine ten years so if she returns to a more comfortable uh more like wide-ranging sound i would actually welcome that just because it'll be nice to see her uh you know digging up what the kind of music that i got into her for like traditionally when i uh got into her when uh like uh like after pain is beauty into Abyss drop so yeah of course chelsea wolf one of my favorite working artists of course i'm stoked uh all the singles are great yeah i'm particularly looking forward to this because of the dave ct production feature which i is someone i would never have predicted Ch uh charlie chelsea to have worked with yeah i gotta get you guys on the dear science train that album that is a tv on the radio album great album yeah incredible record i've always wanted to do a record club on that maybe i'll do that at some point this year one of my favorite albums ever but i mentioned it specifically because dave ct's production on that record to me is just some of the sharpest kind of indie funk rock production on any album that i've heard like from the last 25 years and i always look to that as a kind of standard uh for really sharp really effective really punchy production so i'm looking forward to seeing what he brings to uh to chelsea with this new record so yeah really excited for that one as well my next pick is uh also kind of staying in my bag a little bit getting into the indie world talking about I'm kind of going to double barrel this a little bit, actually, because these are two artists who, you know, I don't want to conflate them in the sense like I'm pretending that they're they make exactly the same kind of music, but they're indie folk artists. Basically, uh, I want to talk about my excitement for upcoming albums from both Adrian Linker and Waxahachi. Uh, Adrian Linker, especially, who released uh, a new single. She's released two singles from her upcoming album as well. The album's called Bright Future. Uh, just this morning, I put on the second single, Sadness as a Gift, on the headphones for the first time. I'd only heard it on the earpods. And I could have wept at how gorgeous it sounded. Just pure, radiant, blissful layers of guitars. I could have easily mistaken it for a Big Thief song, to be honest. It does not necessarily sound like Adrian Solo. The way that... Because Adrian Solo work, which I love, and I know you love as well, Jake. One of the, the joys mm -hmm. of that is how elemental it is, how stripped down and intimate it can be compared to Big Thief. But seeing the fact that Adrian seems to be kind of pushing herself into making more expansive and, and filled out songs and this new solo record is, is equally as exciting to me as well because I love how dynamic she can be as a musician, as an artist. So I would strongly encourage checking out either of the singles from this album. As I said, Sadness is a Gift is the new one and the last one, Ruined, is just devastating as well and i also so i'm double barreling this with the new album from waxahachi as well one of an artist who was incredibly like influential for me in terms of getting into indie singer songwriters as well she's been around for well over a decade albums like cerulean salt in 2017's incredibly underrated out in the storm uh wonderful wonderful records she kind of had a critical mass 
with 2020 Saint Cloud, which is also a great album that I enjoyed a lot. And she's come back. Her new album is called Tiger's Blood. Bit of a Charlie Sheen shout out there with that title. The lead single, wow. which is called Right Back to It, was inspiring so many. Um, this is the kind of shit that makes dudes go hell yeah memes because it's a collaboration with MJ Linderman, who they both just sing their hearts out on the single. It's a fucking yeah. killer song. So I'm really looking forward to the new album. So that's, I'm kind of pairing those two together because they're both fantastic female indie singer songwriters who've worked really, really hard over the last 10 years to carve out very distinct artistic niches. And it's really, really cool seeing them go from strength to strength. So um, yeah, very excited for both of those. All right. My next pick is one that was just announced the other day. This is the only one that I don't have a hard release for. In fact, I'm, I'm, hoping that it comes out this year just because this particular artist turnover rate is uh he, he's a pretty efficient worker um but either this year or probably early next year we are going to be getting casualties of cool two uh if you've seen my video where i talk about uh albums that i recommend to get you into alt country one of the albums that i mentioned is the self-titled casualties of cool album and for those of you in the know, this album is spearheaded by one Mr. Devin Townsend, one of my favorite musical artists, Canadian prog, mad scientist, legend, prolific creator of music of all genres. Uh, Devin has been like, I don't think there's been a year he's been working in since he started in music where he hasn't released at least one thing under one name. Dude has more than 70 albums to his name. Um, but Casualties of Cool is a particularly interesting side project of his because in tandem with Canadian singer-songwriter Shay Amy Dorval, who for my money has one of the most beautiful vocal presences in all of music, uh, the two created in 2014, I think it was 2014, uh, yeah, 2014, 10 years ago, uh, Casualties of Cool, which is his take on alt country but it's also a lot more than that there is a lot of blues here this is very gothic there's a lot of ambient music and sound play in here that makes me think of his projects like uh ghost for instance uh this is in my opinion at least one of devin's best projects one of my favorite albums ever one of my favorite like americana records of all time for sure uh, it's a very weird album. It's a concept album about uh, a person traveling through space who comes across a Lovecraftian planetary entity that like tries to seduce this person into feeding off of their dreams and desires. And as such, it's a very spacey, ethereal listen. I can't exactly recommend it uh, breathlessly just because I know a lot of people would probably find it very long-winded and probably a little bit boring. For me, however, on the other hand, the harmonies on here are gorgeous. The two vocal presences, Devin is a lot more dialed back, but he wears Americana so well. And it's also 
something that you know he could come across as being kind of pastiche but Devin clearly is indebted to his influences in a way that lets you know that he knows what he's doing uh he has described this album in the past as being uh an album full of the ghosts of Johnny Cash songs which is probably the best way I could ever sell this in any respect I think that the uh, the front leg of this has songs like Daddy Flight Mountaintop some of my favorite Americana songs of all time it's a very richly produced very gorgeous record and just the notion that we're going to get more of this is so exciting because we haven't known if we would ever get a follow-up uh i love this uh, the original casualties of cool album so much the back down the incredibly rare import cd that has a like laundry list of demo from the sessions that created this album uh that basically doubled the album's length and i've listened to that like multiple times i did it just last night just to Reacquaint myself with the record for talking about it today, and uh, just the notion that there could be another album in this uh, project's lineup is kind of tantalizing, just because it's so conceptual. There's so many different things that it pulls from that it could go in any direction, but just you know, even if it doesn't expand the project in any meaningful ways, it's still diverse enough of a set of sounds to make its own. Like, just a new album is novel enough of a prospect for me to get super excited. So I'm very much hoping that being a uh, a good uh, later this year, maybe end of the year, or perhaps beginning of next year uh, heater. So please announce the release soon, Devin. I'm begging you. My final two picks are both unconfirmed but i have it on good authority that they will be releasing this year the first of which is uh the new album from nick cave and the bad seeds of course as yet untitled i'm an avid follower of the red hand files i will confess and say that i have wasted a lot of time at work when i should have been working reading through the red hand files it is that's uh, right one of the internet's last bastions of true unfiltered humanity and it is a complete bomb for the soul, regardless of whether mm. you're a Nick Cave fan or not. The way he writes, the the questions he responds to, the crises in total strangers' lives that he speaks to, and his own artistic process as well. It's super enlightening. Um, and of course, throughout last year, and across many different posts on the Red Hand Files, Nick teased going into the studio to record a Bad Seeds album, and then ultimately, by the end of the year, announcing that recording had concluded for the album and that it could they that we could expect it uh coming soon so yeah i the announcement could be any day now or it could be six months from now but i have it on good authority by nick if we're to believe that there will be a new bad seeds album this year and i'm really intrigued by this as well because i feel like we have not really got any precedent for what it will sound like uh, it felt like with That's the true. last few, because certainly Push the Sky Away, uh, Skeleton Tree and Ghost Team were kind of an unofficial trilogy of records that pursued a particular sort of tranquil and sort of very synthetic, but also very stripped back sound. There, there was very little precedent for prior to that. Um, and Ghost Team felt like a very kind of conclusive final statement. Uh, and then Carnage was sort of a a side thing that was not with the Bad Seeds. That was sort of an impromptu record that Nick and Warren recorded in just a week, uh, you know, getting into the studio together. Jesus. So we really have very little indication for what direction they may take on this new record. I have a feeling, based on nothing at all, 
that we can expect some kind of departure from what we've heard in recent years from the bad seeds and from Nick. So I'm just, I have no idea what that might look like, what that might be, even if it's not as well, just to get more Nick Cave music as well, especially if there's going to be a full band. It's tantalizing. Come on, let's go. New Nick Cave and the bad seeds. Let's have it. Uh, that's my next pick. Bro has more years in which he makes my top three when he releases than he doesn't. So like, yeah, I'm pretty sure Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds, like if you harnessed this podcast collective affinity for singular bands, if you took all of it and like mashed it together, the most affinity you would get for any band is probably Nick Cave. I bet it's just the the band that I feel like all of us appreciate to the most maximal degree. And on that note, I have an artist who I think that's also true for art pop maestro, genius musician, multi-instrumentalist composer, Julia Holter. Her new album, finally, finally, her new album, Something in the Room, She Moves, is going to be coming out next, is it next month or March? End of, I think it's, it's either end, of, end of February, beginning of March. Okay, it's March. So we're getting the March. next Julia Holter album in March. Uh, this is the kind of the album announcement where it's like you take that meme that's just like, uh, that's it today, I'm killing myself, and then it's just the postponed like that's 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 the kind of album. Uh, if you haven't seen our record club on Julia Holter's last album, uh, she released that being the double album opus Aviary, which might be like that 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 album may be the single most like acclaimed album if you combine like all of our scores and just how much we that, love it. That, that might album. be like the album of this podcast when I Not think about it. Not only um, is that album one of the best records I've ever heard, one of the most impressive records I've ever heard, I have a real fondness for that video we did. I think that's a really great record mm -hmm. club uh, because of the challenge of it, because of the challenge of talking about an album like that and how we wrote, really rose to that occasion, I think. Uh, Aviary is an album that still kind of intimidates me with its sheer scale. Uh, but getting lost in that record and coming to really become intimately acquainted with it and have it feel less scary and more like a thing I know uh, has been one of the great pleasures of, of of the process of us unpacking any album in the last sort of four years that we've been doing this. That, that album's so special. I can't even fathom what she has coming up next. I imagine that this new album will be... Well, no, I don't even want to say I imagine it will be kind of less ambitious and more kind of stripped back because I've already looked at the track list and the median runtime is over six minutes for these songs. So, oh, yeah. The, well, and both singles, which are very different from one another, are just like they are as beguiling as you would want Julia Holter's songs to be. Like, Sun Girl is just this gorgeous oh, yeah. piece of like, formless, almost like just like ambient pop and almost like jazz drumming. It's so like both of the songs are surprisingly rhythmic, uh, but they're also, they just have this effortlessness to their composition, which is just like, I've been listening to Sun Girl and Spinning over and over again. And I, I can't make heads or tails of these songs. I just know that I love them. I love like the experience of just like listening to a Julia Holter album, I think is like, this is going to sound so ridiculous, but like, when it comes to 
the best feeling experiences a human being can have. I, I'm just, I'm not happier than I am when I'm listening to a Julia Holter album. Like, Have You in My Wilderness, Loud City Song, uh, a very, like, it just, it doesn't matter. All of these are just things that, that like, they send me to another planet, another galaxy even. And it's like, they're so rewarding to come back to. She's never even come close to letting me down. Like even projects as early as things like Ecstasis, I think are masterful, even in their like lowest moments. So it's just nice. We have another one on the way, but just based on what we know so far, this is going to be as confounding of an experience as her last two records have been, which is just like, this is the, this is why music is, is good. Like every time I listen to Aviary, I put like up a spot on my favorite albums list. Like that'll be in my top 10 and like, give it like a year, maybe it's, it could be even sooner, but it's just, she's the type of person who makes music that is so huge and bombastic and beautiful and indescribable that it's just like, you can only be thankful. You're just like, thank God that Julia Holter is alive and so talented that I can barely even understand her because I get to bask in the glow of her artistry. And I make no apologies about how much of a frothing fanboy of hers I am. It's like, she she can do no wrong. If you want to accuse me of being biased or whatever the fuck, go on right ahead. God damn right you're biased. We're all biased. I am, get... I am biased That's... against some of the That's... most incredible music I've ever heard. That is well, true. And you can take that, that funny to the damn people... bank. Would people on the internet who review music or like, you know, you'll go into like Fantano comment section of whatever he's talked about recently. And it's just like, uh, bias this, bias that. You're, like, ju you're just giving this a positive review because you're a fanboy. Because, because you, you like, like it. it. It's, it's so <laughs> funny that people say stuff like that because it's like, yeah, people are going to have a bias against artists that they've liked in the past because that's a pattern if they enjoyed music from them then they're probably gonna enjoy more music from them it's crazy how that works julia holter shit in the mother toilet with this new <laughs> album brian eno once said that there was nobody in the 70s as good as julia holter so i did I, not know that but that's I thought so you meant, I thought I, you that's mean, amazing i i thought you meant he said that in the 70s <laughs> he did it's true this fucking six-year-old child is the future. Um, I, I don't know what's what's better. The fact that Brian Eno said that or the fact that I might agree with him. Brian Eno in 1976 said, in eight years, a child will be born. <laughs> <laughs> As an aside, um, it's impossible for me to hear, read the title of this album and not hear in my head the voice of George Harrison something in the room she moves in the room. to the oh, point where the title is almost off-putting but you know i'm just being it i'm just it's just a random gripe i have um i will be salivating until i get to hear this record so my final pick today uh my probably my most anticipated album of the year again doesn't have an official announcement yet but i have it on good authority which is but the good authority in question being the fact that uh, on IndieCast, they talked about it extensively as their most anticipated album of 2024. And they have, you know, insights that we lack into what may or may not be happening. And that is that we are apparently going to be getting, hopefully, probably, most likely, 
a new album from Joanna Newsom this year. The first album since 2015. All the art pop girlies are dropping, baby. And here's the thing, right, is that this is my most anticipated album. And I think it's a kind of similar Julia Holter situation where it's like, you know, utterly confounding artist who's so singular, who's so beyond comparison, but also who has such a razor tight, you know, such an airtight, perfect body of work that mm-hmm. an utterly spotless body of work that I suppose, if anything, maybe the odds are not in their favor. But if we're ignoring statistical probability for a second and just focusing on how great these artists are, there is no reason not to be absolutely foaming for whatever is next. Joanna is someone who has never released a record that I don't love. Like even right as far back as her debut album, I was I, I've been completely on board with Joanna. Not that I was there at the time, but I mean getting into Joanna as a teenager, falling in love with her first two records, experiencing the gargantuan mess that is Have One On Me, which is still, I think, her her highest achievement. And then 2015's Divers, which I could also see an argument for being her greatest record just for how dynamic that record Amazing is album. or how, you know, it, powerful and refined and swelling that album is how it kind of brings her archaic sensibilities throttling into the 21st century in such a powerful way. I have no idea what she could possibly do next. All I know is that I am there day one, give it to me. And I just know as well that it will give us so much material to digest and talk about too. So again, it may not come out this year. I don't know for sure that it will, but I believe there's strong reason to believe. Well, I know that last year as well, I think on one of the episodes of the show, I talked about how, mm-hmm. you know, she she performed live for the first time in several years and played new songs. So, you know, there's reason to believe uh, LP5 is coming. I can't wait. And I'm really, really excited. It's also my number one because, again, I don't know, like with Nick Cave, I have no real clear precedent for what it will sound like other than i'm sure it will sound like joanna newsom but i don't know what she will do with you know the established you know expectations that she has based on her previous record i have no idea what direction she'll go in so that's really really exciting which brings us to the conclusion of our discussion of our most anticipated albums and of course morgan's discussion of the most anticipated games of 2024 let us know what you are looking forward to the most whether it's in the world of music games movies books whatever you're looking forward to this year whatever you think we should have on our radar especially whatever is coming up that you would like us to talk about let us know in the comments below we really like getting that input we really like getting shown new things and getting new things brought out, brought to our awareness as well a lot of great comments over our list videos by the way i want to say thank you to everyone who commented on one of our list videos especially with those who drop their own lists and recommendations as well really appreciate that that really broadens our horizons because you know as wide open as we try to be generally to the pot to what's coming out and what's hot at the moment we always miss stuff and we always miss niches that you guys are really really great at covering so thank you to everyone who's contributed um we are hopefully we hope you'll keep commenting we'll hope, we hope you'll keep making us aware of great stuff so we can talk about it on the show it's going to be a great year we're really really excited to dig into it until next time though folks rock over london rock on chicago sprite Obey your thirst.